welcome once again to the Pod on Point podcast, a show about sports, business, and the business of sports. My name is Anand Punjabi, and I'm coming to you from London, England, where even if the pubs are closed, that's not going to stop us getting a pint of beer. Pubs will uh, serve you a nice pint out their window in a plastic cup. It's still takeout. It's still draft and it's still cold. Nice. Hi, everyone. This is Vladimir Bosanitz. I'm checking in today from the city that has the oldest continually operating farmer's market in America, the Pike Place Market in Seattle, Washington. Hi, everyone. This is Mike McPhee coming to you from sunny Denver, Colorado, a mile closer to the sun than all the other top U.S. cities. I'm glad it's sunny where you are. It was good. It was sunny here today, too. So welcome back, folks. Today on the Pod on Point podcast, we have a great show. We're going to kick things off as we do with some wins and losses, including a shout out to the old Dog Pound. Uh, Then after that, we have two fun shows, two really solid top stories uh, that we'll cover in a little bit more depth. First off, we're going to talk about the 2020 version of the insanity that is college football with head head coaching buyouts. And then we'll we'll tackle the apparently extreme losses that uh, are being suffered by the MLS. Someone says that they lost a billion dollars. <laughs> Have they yeah. actually lost a billion dollars? We're going to try and find out. So folks at home, get your popcorn ready. If you're in the car, settle in for that daily commute. Vlad and Mike, let's serve up this week's episode. Let's do it. All right, gents, we are back. And boy, I didn't know that Pike Place Market is a farmer's market. I, I've been, but I only remember the fish, right? The throwing fish thing. But I, yeah, now that you think it's a farmer's market too, right? So there you go. Who knew? Actually, the state of Washington, This uh, I did not know this before we moved here too. The state of Washington has a pretty robust agricultural industry. Okay. Um, you know, not just not just fishing, obviously a lumber, but you know anything kind of west of the Cascades is uh, farmland, and Who south knew? of the Cas- you know south of sort of the southern part of the state is uh, farmland. So interesting, very cool. Well, uh, gentlemen, let's let's just get into this thing because I think we've got our our, our standard wins and losses, and I'm going to shout out to the old dog pound as as Anand threw that into the opener. And uh, for, for all the folks out there, the Dog Pound, Cleveland Browns, you know, that end zone stands and go back old school, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And I'm even talking like I'm relishing this thing, but that was my hometown team's biggest rival. So hometown of Cincinnati, biggest rival was Cleveland. But here's where I'm going to frame. I'm going to start us with a loss, gentlemen, kind of a down note. We're approaching the 25 year anniversary of the Cleveland Browns moving from Cleveland to Baltimore. And why is that notable? And here's why is that Art Modell moved the team for a stadium deal. Right smack in the middle of when professional teams were holding cities and states hostages for big-time public financing of stadiums. And, you know, gents, I think that era is generally over. I think, you know, we've gone to more private financing of stadiums and the whole holding places hostage. I just thought this is notable because that's that was a really big one. I remember it, unfortunately, like it was yesterday. Um, I went to the last game in that stadium and, and a personal note, gentlemen, I watched the fans take apart the stadium while the game was being played. And what that means is there were sinks being pulled from walls. There was uh, bleachers oh, being wow. taken down and put into fire pits in okay. on the sides of the field. Like This was an NFL <laughs> game and they were burning fires and things. It was really surreal. 
Um, but uh, the Cleveland Browns ended up winning their final game there. And then now over in Baltimore, they've won two Super Bowls. But it's a loss for me because I, that dynamic was painful for cities when they were held hostage and then ultimately they end up leaving and, and, and that whole deal. So 25 years ago, this this end of December, wow. end of this season would be uh, that anniversary. Wow. That does so, not seem like that our, much time had passed, but that's that's amazing. There we yeah, go. That's amazing. 1995. We're definitely not going to – we're not no. going to call it a happy no, anniversary. We're going to say I we're glad that's, that's, that dynamic is no. we've moved on. Vlad, what do you have for us? Well, I've got a I've got a couple of things. I've got a win and a loss for this week. Um, on the win side, I think this is a win for the SEC. The Southeast Conference just signed a brand new TV deal that will move its football and basketball programming from CBS, which has been its home since 1996. They're moving over to the to Mickey Mouse's Kingdom, ABC, ESPN. Uh, for just over $300 million uh, a year for 10 years. So just as a comparison, CBS was paying the SEC something like $55 million. Now they're going to get $300 million a year. So a mega pay Ooh. jump for, for And do you SEC. remember last week we were talking about... Uh, uh, no, we're going to talk about this later. Excuse me. We're going to compare this. You're talking about... Th- 300 million bucks a year, and we're going to compare this to a pro sport in a little while and see how small that looks in comparison when we talk about the MLS. Well, you know, it's 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 big it's big money either way. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a big jump for them, and it just goes to show you know how much how much the um, these you know college television deals have been have been increasing. Um, Every SEC football and basketball game starting 2024 will be carried on on uh, on ESPN, and uh, you know I don't think for us it'll be that big of a change. It'll be just a, just a different channel, but but for the SEC, which is uh, I believe the the highest grossing football conference in the in the country, this is this is big uh, big money. It's an incredible thing. I think I'd read that they're going to be 17 million dollar bump. Per school per year for <laughs> for for this, and they already are getting huge numbers in their media wow. deals. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, this just points to the divestiture, right? We talked about this last week. That's I right. Mean, That's right. They just don't need to even be part of the NCAA if they're mm-hmm. signing deals this big. They can they can just Enormous. you know. I, I fig- think that's figure out, of, figure out their own organization. That's going to become more and more obvious, and I think you know, as we said in in the show, you know, you know, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, the wheels are already in motion, and, and this will be interesting to see. Yeah. How it evolves. So that's a that's a win for the SEC. Um, a loss, um, you know, a loss for me. Again, I'm going to call out this, you know, COVID crisis. To be perfectly honest, and you know, call me crazy, but you know, I think everybody's sort of trying to push these games and push these leagues like um, nothing is happening. You know, it's interesting. I, th- there was news earlier uh, this week that D2 NCAA Division II of basketball and volleyball just canceled the season. And of course, they're no, no not games. making any money. Mm-hmm. So when you're making money, you're keeping the season. When you're not making money, you're doing the right health thing. Um, and I just, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, Anand, you said I'm never going to get a job at the NCAA, uh, thinking the way I do. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think the NCAA should have just canceled the season and started over in August. But you know, that's that's my loss. Very good there, Vlad. Anand, do you got anything for us here? Are you going to give us a win or a loss? Yeah, I have a... I, well, I, I call this a win. I think it's a big win. Um, 
Anthony Joshua uh, holding three heavyweight uh, championship belts right now uh, had a fairly emphatic victory over the Bulgarian Kubrat Pulev uh, a <laughs> couple nights ago. It was a good fight, you know. I uh, I Pulev. caught a stream. Uh, I, I'll, I'll I'll freely admit a friend of mine passed me a couple of links, so I didn't pay. Is, is Sky, boxing, Sky Sports. is boxing making a comeback? I mean, with, well, the with, heavyweight with Tyson th- and this YouTube kid knocking out that NBA guy, like. You know, well, listen, this... that's not boxing, okay? That's uh, <laughs> that's Disneyland right there. I mean, boxing. You, we know we got you got we got Tyson Fury. Well, it's big here because the Brits are dominating the heavyweight okay. division right now. Right. Okay. Right. We've we've got we all got the Mike belts, Tyson. So, so <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Mike 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 Tyson. Who is, I heard Mike who Tyson. Who's the big? Uh, who's the big guy from the UK in the nineties? And Fr- Frank Bruno. Frank Bruno, maybe. I think he fought uh, Tyson Bruno, also. Bruno eighties. Right? There's so Lewis. many. Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis. Yes. Okay. Okay. David Hay more recently. Lennox Lewis from the from the late nineties. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there we go. So yeah. So we've got a huge fight coming up now. I mean, you know, I know boxing is all hype, and you know, everyone talks big big words and big numbers, but this could genuinely be one of the biggest heavyweight bouts in in the history of boxing because this will be the first time you have four belts on the line. Uh, AJ's got the IBF, WBA, and WBO belts. And uh, Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, he's got the WBC World Heavyweight Championship. So both camps are talking this up. They're going to sign a deal this week or early next week. Eddie Hearn says it's just a matter of a couple of days. Frank Warren, who is the promoter for the UK promoter for Tyson Fury, says this is going to be a 200, uh, 300 to 500 million pounds uh, uh, two-fight two fight package. Now, even if you take the lower figure of 300 million pounds, that's $400 Ooh. million. Dollars, okay? Wow. Two fights. $400 million over two fights. Yeah. Wow. You know, someone, someone's got to have a shot wow. at redemption, right? Whoever loses, you got you got to give them the shot for a rematch. So, wow. yeah, everyone wants a rematch. So, well, listen, two fights anyway. If you do a two-fight deal, you're guaranteed wow. some big money. That's insane. Um, but think about it. You're talking about, you're talking about close to half a billion dollars here. Yeah, that is so, insane. So, let me wrap this boxing thing up with something non-related but kind of related there was a there was a radio station in detroit about you know some sometime in the 90s they would do these kind of funny things and one of the things they would do is throw out words and then you know use them in a sentence kind of deal so one of the words that they used was called catacomb and they would use the sentence they would say that don king he's got crazy hair somebody needs to give that catacomb yeah I'll leave it at that. Oh, I think, I'll leave yeah. it at that. Is that a win? Boxing. I think That's we just moved our win to a loss or a draw. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my. Well, Vlad can keep that loss to oh, himself. My. Oh, my. <laughs> Give that catacomb. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Thank you, Anand. So those are wins and losses for the week. Those are our wins and losses. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we have our top stories of the week. We are having a blast crafting this show and are so grateful for our listeners that tune in each and every week. We aim to bring you interesting stories, opinions, and yes, sometimes a hot take or two as we analyze and discuss the business angles to the dynamic global sports scene. Just like any team sport, we could use an assist or two in helping us get out our show to more listeners. I bet you didn't know that we have listeners in 27 states. That's a great start, but we know there's more out there that would dig our show. So if you don't mind, drop us a dime and pass us along to your neighbor. 
Fantasy Sports League, or that weekend warrior buddy of yours that never misses a 5K. And make sure you have subscribed too so that you never miss a show. We appreciate you. Keep on listening, send us some feedback, and stay on point, my friends. All right, folks, we're back. Welcome back. Mike is going to uh, kick off uh, uh, one of our two top stories today. Mike, what do you have for us? Yeah, I'm going to talk college football. We are in the final parts to the season. There's some regular games left, some bowl, not bowl games yet. There's uh, what ch- championship games, and then we're going to have playoffs and things like that. But but what I wanted to talk about is kind of the the annual absurdity known as sending college football coaches packing. Folks, the Power 5 football packing slips, we've heard these every single year, but I'm going to spotlight on the absurd money that's thrown at these coaches to simply walk away. So buckle up, because I did a little bit of digging, I got some numbers here, and the numbers are going to be the story, and I think you're going to say that's... in. I don't. You're going to be speechless at the end, just as, like I was when I started digging, I, guys. I, I hope everybody everybody listens to this story because these yeah. numbers are amazing. It's gonna it's gonna you're gonna say that's college football. So here we go, guys. Okay, follow this train with me. All right. So we're gonna look at four schools in just the last three years. Four schools, three years. Okay. Power five. We're gonna start in the SEC and we're gonna start with Texas A and M. Texas A&M in 2018 paid their head coach, Kevin Sumlin, $10.4 million to leave. Then they paid Florida State (laughs) $7 million to hire away Jimbo Fisher. And they decided that Jimbo Fisher was worth a $75 million contract over 10 years. (laughs) Texas A&M. Wait, $75 million? Over 10 years. To leave? $75 million to come in. So Jimbo's their new guy. They're going to pay him. Yeah. Over the next 10 years, $75 million. So this yep. is like the Got money it. flowing at, at, at Texas A&M. Remember we heard last week, that's a $200 million, um, yeah. $200 million in revenue uh, athletic department, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. that's yeah. Texas A&M, but, but there's a cascading effect. So Florida State over in the ACC, they received $7 million from Texas A&M for Jimbo Fisher's assistants who all yeah. got fired yeah. when they hired away Jimbo. They were still paying $3 million to Oregon because they'd hired the previous coach, Willie, T- and then they hired Willie Taggart. Then they paid $1.3 million to South Florida because Willie Taggart was there before he went to Oregon. And then they fired Willie Taggart after two years, and they have to pay him $18 million. Wow. What? And now they're paying a new guy $3.7 million as their new coach. So you don't have to keep all those numbers straight. I'll get them to you later. But you heard a three. You heard an 18. You heard a 3.7. Again, the last three years. I heard years. a 75, too. Yeah, the last three years, guys. So now let's flip over to the Pac-12. These all tie together. Pac-12, this is a nationwide problem, folks. Arizona, they paid $6.3 million to Rich Rodriguez to fire him without cause after allegations of sexual harassment, racial harassment, and effectively not winning enough games. Okay. Then they pay $7.29 million to fire Kevin Sumlin just this week. That's the same guy who started our story, that Texas A&M paid $10.4 million two years ago to go away. So Kevin Sumlin was Arizona's replacement for Rich Rodriguez, and in two years' time, he gets fired. And he's getting paid $7 million to go away. So Kevin Sumlin is going to get paid about 18 or $19 million to not coach football, folks. <laughs> right. Yeah, chuckles. Right. Right? We just You're ch- so bad. You're so bad. Why don't you oh. sit on the sidelines for $20 million? Yeah. So then, and I want our listeners, they should be getting fired up. This is nuts. 
SEC Auburn just this past weekend, they fired Gus Maltzen after a disappointing season, and they're going to pay him $21.4 million, wow. including very nice. the very nice poison pill sum of $10 million, 50% up front in the first 30 days. So I think it was two days ago, so they got 28 more days to come up with $10 bucks to make him go away. Wow. Okay. So, so, we've so, so in his case, Mike, in, in his case, I think the only difference is even though it was sort of a disappointing season, but it sounds like he just didn't kind of connect with that school or with the team. I think his first year there, he did very well, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes, that's right. But then since since that first year, he's kind of struggled, and I think they just decided to pull the plug. So, so j- just to be fair, it's not you know one season. I think that may have been the final straw, right? But But he's been struggling there. He's been struggling. He's been averaging four plus losses, and yeah. but that that buyout that his agent won in his contract is is beyond absurd. It's beyond absurd. So guys, that was four schools. That was three years. Yeah. That was seventy five million dollars to pay coaches in aggregate to not do their jobs or to pay universities to hire away, and then in that sixty four million dollars will go to four men to go away. Sixty four wow. million. I'm speechless. And yet this is the same set of institutions that would crumble if college athletes were paid, that the whole idea of amateurism would be upended if we paid our athletes on these teams. But yet all this money is flowing to coaches to go away, not to mention what they're paying for them to just be there on campus too. guys. This is this is right. The exact problem that this industry is having. Right. That the money is so absurd. The firing money is so absurd. There's no is clearly no compensation committees. You know, the business sides of these things. Yeah. Big businesses that pay big checks. They have compensation committees. They have approvals of boards. You don't get athletic directors that can just stroke checks at the corporate level. Nobody can just stroke big checks to go away like that without agreements and yeah. compensation. Well, there must be control. some oversight, right? I mean, these, the, well, the, you know, the, the, the board of governors at these colleges and these deans at these universities, surely they've got to be having some say as to where all this money is being well, I, I think, thrown I around, I think that's right? the issue. I think that's the issue. This is a decision by committee, right? And nobody wants to put, you know, pardon my French, his, you know, butt or her butt on the line here, right? And they're kind of voting by committee and basically saying, yeah, let's just pay him to go away because that way they won't sue us and we won't have a blemish on our name so that the next coach we want to recruit, they won't say, hey, you know, I need some more guarantees because the way you treated that guy, you know, means that I am now, you know, you know, it's it's a risk for me to come work for you. I mean, this is absolute nonsense. Mike, how many how many players on a football team? Hundred hundred kids, eighty Eight, kids, eighty five scholarships. Gen, generally, fifteen plus walk-ons so, after that. So, so hundred, call it hundred. Okay, let's let's round it to a hundred, right? Let's pay each one of those players a hundred grand a year. That's ten million bucks, right? Ten million bucks for 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 ten years is a hundred million. Bu- that's that's damn near what they're paying these people just to go away. Go away. And you could have a decade of you know paying kids some something right uh, to to play the sport. I mean, well, this they're is paying them anyway, insanity. right? Because I mean, if they're getting scholarships, well, you know, someone's paying for that. Yeah, but on and I'm happy to go into this discussion if you want. But I think the incremental cost of a scholarship is like damn near, you know, ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars compared to the value it that they be. bring in. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying the value be. of that scholarship is 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 you know zero. All I'm saying is, yeah. you know, when when you look at this money and how much is just being thrown away, and yeah. they're arguing that you know 
this model is the only model that works. I I, I just don't think this is sustainable. Yeah, this I think is the model stinks, man. Insane. And I'm and I'm actually surprised at like no sort of sports committee or something at any of these universities puts like some kind of a performance, you know, thing in these contracts, you know, so that if they don't perform, if they don't win X amount of games, yeah. they get to fire them without any without any penalty. I think that should be that should be a standard clause in every contract. Yeah, we've talked in other shows that what is the pandemic going to do? And and I'm hopeful, but I'm not going to hold my breath that these signals end up that there's new business rules written into contracts, as you just suggested. Are they performance based? Uh, are these buyouts no longer going to be um, written into the language of these things? And maybe even other places end up keeping a guy because they're like, wait a minute, we're, we're not going to pay all this money for him to not be here. So we're going to keep this and write out whatever's in the current contracts and maybe a new day is on the horizon. But to me, th- there's a lot of money flowing in these things. To be the biggest things is it's absurd to pay that huge money to them to go away. And it's absurd that now there's no money for the players because it upends the amateurism model when you got all well, this money at the top end. And and not just players, but you know, how many how many stories have we've seen where schools are, you know, laying off or furloughing people that work at the university, right? That just sort of work in the sports programs, right? The other people are getting kind of hurt and these guys are just, you know, they're just throwing money at them. Um for non performers essentially, right? I mean that's that's the part well, and and look, I mean, this is done in every other sport, right? I mean, there are, there are guarantees in the NFL, there are guarantees, I'm sure, yes. in European soccer on, yes. right? I mean, every every sport, you know, has these these kinds of things. Um, well, except that is, if you're Jose Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this yeah. is this is not unusual. Um, I I just think, kind of, given the way that that this sport, this league, is being positioned, right? It, it's 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 difficult to sort of keep doing this without sort of somebody scratching his head or her head and saying uh, this needs to change very quickly or 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 some other parameters need to change here very quickly. Agreed. Well, I have a question for Mike. I'm curious to know: Do you know on average how long into a coach's tenure they uh, they've decided they want him to leave? Um, I'm I'm sure there's no okay there's no average, but you know if they're on a five year deal, have they? kicked out a guy after a year of under so-called underperformance or, or two years or or did they have a good run and then they just kicked him out towards the end of his contract what is most Presum- presumably the payoff has got to be bigger the longer that's left on his contract right that that's right I think what where this starts to get so murky is great question on on around how 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 much they get when they first come in the door they typically get two three four years to f- implement their program and like Florida State, they just ran a guy after two years, um, and 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 they're paying him eighteen million to leave. Yeah, then, but that but that's also unusual, right? I think I I I think usually coaches are given at least three years usually, to kind of build a program, usually. right? Because you're kind of inheriting a bunch of players. You know, the argument is these are not my players. You know, it, it's it's going to take me a couple of years to build it back up. So they're given a lot of leeway. I think. Well, are they? That's the thing. That was the second part of my I question. The second are. part of my question is: it seems to be very short-term thinking here. Two years, you didn't perform, you're out. Uh, is that is that the general thinking among these these Power Five conferences? I think we're seeing signals of that. We had two of them in this last week at, at Arizona yeah. after two years, and at Florida State. Um, Florida State was a year ago, but so it, it's two years is quick. That, that's incredible. But they must quick. feel they have that much more to gain, right? Why would you, why would you spend ten or twelve if you didn't think you're going to get a, a bigger return? 
right? If if I'm going to get another coach in who's going to be more successful and therefore all the associated revenues that come with that better that that better winning record at the end of the season or getting into a bowl game or a championship game, they must have that in mind, presumably. One of the big challenges is if you're in a pro sport and your team starts losing, you know, somebody like, you know, Jeannie Buss hears it from a few of her buddies and, and it's sort of a joke and it's kind of a funny thing here and there, right? Maybe some fans write to a fan blog or whatever, right? At a university level, you're getting big donors complaining. You're getting everybody complaining. You're getting alumni complaining. You're getting you're, you're getting all kinds of different dynamics, I think, that are driving some of these decisions. And also it's a decision by committee, right, where, where you, you kind of have probably a group of people making that decision versus in you know, professional sports it's probably a little bit different. But what this is also showing is college football, at least, and I'm sure basketball is on the same level here. We talked about, uh, you know, uh, what's the gentleman from um, Wichita State the other week, um, $7.75 bucks to leave. I think what's, what, is, what, is, what is happening is that, is, is that is they're getting more impatient, right? They want these returns a lot quicker. They're becoming more professionalized, I think, in that sense. Vlad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push just one little bit on that committee notion. And I think, from what I've heard, is that this gets funded by the big donors. So one, these schools, when you have these big buyouts and you fire a guy, it's because the alums and the big boosters are, are seeing the direction of this, and they're going to end up funding that buyout. But secondarily, everything I've said is that the athletic director generally acts kind of on their own to make the hiring and the firing. Um, and, and there's just not the proper oversight. And then the athletic directors also get incredible paychecks themselves. And it's just these are just signals of how much money there is in this industry. And boosters want to pay big money for access. They want to pay big money for old state university to be successful. And, and if, if it's not working for them, they want the guy out and they'll fund it themselves. Um, this is just the, the, the money's in, incredible. And, and we see this every December. And probably what, what is, what is, what is happening too, is the athletic directors have certain incentives, you know, too, right. Um, I know in certain schools like Stanford, for instance, you know, if you're not winning championships, you're out. <laughs> it's yeah. just how it is. Yeah. Right? Well, as an and, athletic and director? There's, there's a, sorry? Or a co- as a coach or, an, or as an athletic director? Who's out? Both, probably. Both, both, probably. So, so I'm sure there's, there's, there's a lot of pressure just from there the is. community. And that, that's the point that I think Mike, Mike and I are, are kind of saying, saying the same thing here. There's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of drivers here. There's a lot of, you know, interests, you know, making, you know, making pushes that, you know, this needs to happen and that needs to happen. And, you know. Well, clearly this, you know, there, there, there must be so much money at stake. Otherwise, why would you just keep, why would you spend that kind of money? Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So that's my top story, guys. 12 months from now, that story will re-up again. Um, and, and maybe we'll just <laughs> right. look past it because of our fatigue with it, but it's here again and making the headlines. Don't expect the rules to change anytime soon. I'm not expecting that. So our second story, we have uh, we have some MLS talk, Major League Soccer. Um, again, you know, COVID and losses are a topic that we keep coming back to. So the uh, the commissioner Don Garber uh, said this week that uh, Major League Soccer lost a billion dollars in revenue. One billion. In he a said one billion. Hit 2020 season. So we were talking about this. Well, this is it. So we were talking about this, and first of all, where is the where is the billion dollars yeah. in revenue uh, in the MLS uh, for them to have that top line for them to lose it all? 
or do they lose more than they make? Right. You know, they said they lost a billion dollars in COVID times, which is only so far 10 months. I'm very confused. I didn't even, oh, I'm surprised. I didn't realize the MLS generated a billion dollars in, in revenue anywhere. Did you guys, did you guys, what do you? To have, to have that much money to actually lose it, right? Well, this is it. This is it. I know the season was shut down, you know, right at the start, two weeks into March. You know, the season typically starts around yeah. March. So they then had a, they had a bubble tournament where they, with the thing called MLS is back. They played that in Orlando again, which is Clearly, the place to have it, you know, it's well, well set up for this. Um, and then they played the remaining; they are finishing up the season now, playing in empty stadiums. Uh, so yes, of course, there have been losses. I'm just really surprised at this figure. This, this is it just a convenient figure to throw out there. Hey, we lost a billion dollars. You know, everyone should be aware of this. You know, I tried to find some detail behind this billion dollar loss claim, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't find very much. I mean, it, it, it brought up other interesting information about how the NFL is coping and kind of how it's funded. We talked about how both the NFL and the NBA sold some bonds uh, earlier this year, the NBA yeah. more recently, and then the NFL in the summer. But uh, as far as the MLS goes, the teams are kind of on their own. You know, either they're getting equity injections through their owners or or they're borrowing money. Uh, yeah. The teams are borrowing money. It doesn't seem like the league is throwing any cash the way of the clubs right now. And we've seen figures, the operating income um, from the vast majority of the clubs in 2019 was negative. Yeah. So is this whole league, you know, on, on shaky ground right now? Mike uh, or Vlad, you, we were talking about the fact that they've had to, a lot of the revenue comes from new franchises, right? What were those fees? That well, they were they were talking about this is this is why the NFL and the NBA is able to go to the you know private markets and raise money right uh, the you know just they have they have years of you know predictable uh, revenues right MLS is still kind of trying to figure out um, yeah we were looking at uh, like you know twenty seven teams uh, plus three which will be joining over the next couple of years so we'll be you know we'll be at thirty teams essentially by twenty twenty five. Um, but only one uh, so far is kind of, you know, uh, you know, the Atlanta team is around eighty million dollars a year. The others are, the lowest was eighteen. Mike, yeah, right? Is, is Rapids, that how, how we Colorado saw Rapids. it? So let's average that to like thirty, thirty-five million. Yeah, right? averaging thirty-five. I mean, the the TV deal is only ninety million dollars a year. Um, you know, which is which is dimes, you know, to the dollar. Compare, right, uh, compared com to compared some of these other to, deals, which is right? fine. We we accept that, yeah. right? I mean, the MLS is is very much the poorest cousin in in you know in in, in the pro sports, right, in the U.S. So yeah, I just wonder how are they going to to survive? Uh, is the sport gaining in popularity? They need to. I mean, a bigger TV deal will only come with a bigger audience, right? So correct. That has to mean, as you said, they're launching three new teams. I guess that's one way to build a bigger audience. You bring the game to more cities. Yeah, I mean this this league has so many headwinds. What what are some of the the other things? Like they play during a time when we've got all the other big sports in, in this country. So you got your pro football, college football. We just heard those numbers about the SEC with their new contract coming. Then. Then they they start their league in March and April when you've got college basketball and then baseball and then NBA like they play these and then midsummer they play and midsummer U.S. broadcasts is there's not a lot of viewership they play in times where where the, the there's a share of voice if you will a share of watching there's not a lot of yeah. eyeballs left to yeah. carve up to go over to MLS games plus 
we got Premier League games on every weekend here um, in, in the States. And, and then we got La Liga and we've got um, – uh, we often have El Clasico. We've got it all going. Yeah, but ultimately that that could help the MLS also. Uh, you know, why while that might be a you know distraction for the MLS now, I think that could help with the popularity of the sport. And you know, if you want to go watch a live soccer match, I mean, they're they're fun. I mean, you know, um, they're they're not boring. Um, you know, and it's interesting. It's interesting to go watch it. You know, the Seattle team I know here um, has been filling up stadiums. They've won a couple of championships in the last few years. You know, so, um, you know, there is there is interest in it, um, you know, beyond kind of your regular regular audience. The, the challenge, obviously, is um, I think I think the way that, that 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 the league is set up is 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 such um, as as we heard from Brian Weiss, you know, a few weeks ago, the Georgetown, the Georgetown University. Uh, men's soccer coach, uh, you know, the league was really created to sort of make the league sustainable, meaning the league will survive, the teams will survive. What will probably happen is these players will make less and less money, unfortunately. Um, but I think these deals, this revenue will get spread out throughout the throughout the teams. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you do need those audiences. You do need the eyeballs. You do need the butts and seats. Uh, you know, you, you do need all of that attention to garner some of that higher revenue. Uh, and you know, it, 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 what happens after COVID is anybody's guess, but, but it's going to take them a long time to get there. I think. I think you need full stadiums in the MLS. Uh, as you rightly pointed out earlier, Mike, you know, they're competing with all these different sports at, you know, being played at the same time. Even if you're a fan of all these sports, how many can you watch? You, something's going to slip, right? Uh, and and it, it's clear to me if, if the TV deal is only $90 million a year and we're talking about collective revenues in the region of about 780 to $800 million a year across these 27 teams right now, the vast majority of their income is coming in stadium. Right. So I can understand where, you know, maybe they're not maybe they haven't lost a billion, but they've lost a few hundred million clearly with the empty stadiums. And so yeah, I could, wonder if that billion is an, is an aggregate amount over like 18 months, 24 months that they're pro- projecting. Maybe maybe projecting. Loss, right? Yeah, maybe they're projecting yeah. it over two seasons. I guess that's maybe what he was talking about. But without without I mean, soccer, soccer, you know, it, I guess all sports is the same, but. You know, soccer's comes alive when you have fans in the stadiums. They've got the chants, they've got the banners. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're jumping up and down. We see it in South America. You know, it's it's crazy and it's 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 a real sight to behold. And I think the broadcasters want to see fans in the stadiums. You know, it's 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 not like tennis, maybe, where you can just focus on the court. And if you're a fan of Federer, Nadal. It's not that big a deal, you know, if the audience is there yeah. or not. It's, it's it's less of a deal. So I think I think even those advertising dollars, uh, you know, will be higher if you have fans in the stadium. I think I think they I think there's a direct correlation there. A hundred percent. One one anecdote that I'll throw out there: when we lived in a Bay Area a few years ago, uh, the San Jose Earthquakes were you know had just completed their their nice new nice new stadium. It wasn't a big stadium, maybe twenty thousand seats or so. Um, and we were looking at, you know, maybe buying season tickets just to have something to kind of go out and have fun and, you know, on the weekends or, you know, whatever, um, sold out. It was, it was sold out. And this is at the height of, uh, you know, the giants winning, uh, the, you know, um, you know, 
their you know baseball pennants, the the um, you know Warriors dominating, the 49ers still doing really really well. Even the Sharks were doing very well at that time. And and here was you know an, another another team, and it was it was sold out. Like it was you 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 couldn't buy season tickets. Essentially, you could you had to get on a on a on a waiting list. And again, you know the Bay Area draws from a broader geography. You know it, I I would argue the Bay Area is from you know Sacramento all the way down to you know Monterey, but but still, it is it is it is interesting that that there was that kind of in in interest and and you know un, until we solve this COVID thing, we probably won't be back at those uh, numbers anytime soon. There clearly is a huge fan base, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that we'll see here is that maybe they have operating dynamics that are not sustainable with uh, with the look at it at, at that year. But I think we said a few moments back is that their expansion fees maybe are the things that drive up the value of any individual club. Yes. And guys, I, I, I'd uncovered a number here that like expansion fees just not that long ago in 2010, you, you paid 40 million to get into the league. Well, now it's right. 200 million to get into the league. And they've done some rapid expansion of late to drive it towards a 30-team league. So yes, um, wow. so it's yeah. maybe that's the investment side of a team is you're going to get things that fund you from those expansion, and your operator side is you probably got to try to get to break even. Is maybe the way that things run. I I also wonder if those new startup uh, teams, if those owners are going to want some of their money back because <laughs> that 200 was based on. Based on some, you know, trend that was hitting from, you know, 2015 pre-COVID. on. Yeah, pre-COVID right? trends. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this guy talked about the vaccine. He says we really need that vaccine to uh, to roll out. I don't know if many other sport sort of uh, commissioners in sports have really talked about the vaccine or trying to bank on it. But I know that uh, uh, Don Garber said we we need that vaccine to be rolled out so we get the fans back in the stadiums. That's yeah. clear. That's clear in this model. Well, that's that's uh, that's what I was uh, going to say. This is what I, that's what I had for the MLS, the billion dollar loss that the MLS is uh, apparently per- apparently going to hit this year. Mike, you have a come on man for us this week. I do. I'm going to wrap us up with uh, a little bit of a look back from well, we got this week's game ties us back into history a little bit. So. The other night, guys, there's an epic football game between the Browns and the Ravens. And the, Bra- and the Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson, disappeared in the fourth quarter. And when I say disappeared, he <laughs> went back to the locker room. With the ball? And No, no, no. No, he just went back. <laughs> and um, there was wonder. There was scuttlebutt. Was, was he pulling a Paul Pierce? And Paul Pierce, let's go back to the 2008 NBA Finals, Game 1. Paul Pierce takes a big tumble under the basket. He ends up showing he's so hurt. They put him in a wheelchair. He gets takes back to the locker room. He comes riding back in a wheelchair, comes back in the game, saves the game. And later on, he admits that he temporarily faked an injury. <laughs> and oh my he, was, God. he was just, he just went back to the <laughs> locker room because he had to go to the bathroom. So, well, that's so, what I figured. So, so they're talking this week during the game. Was Lamar Jackson pulling a Paul Pierce? Like, did he just have to go to the bathroom? And it turns out all he had was a cramp. And they were giving him IVs. Cramp? He comes back. They win the ball game. <laughs> He's having cramps. No, he, he needs no, an IV. No, no, he went to Taco Bell the night before. That's what it was. <laughs> so, so, so there's now. If you pull a Paul Pierce, that means that you're kind of faking it, and you got to go back. Come on, to, man. to the bathroom. Oh. So, um, 
Lamar Jackson says, I did not do that. I was cramping. <laughs> so I just say, was, come on, it man. It was legitimate. That's, it wasn't just a Gatorade he wanted to drink. Exactly. So uh, I guess it was an epic uh, Monday night football game this week, and Lamar Jackson led his team to victory, but did not pull a Paul Pierce. So. Didn't pull a Paul Pierce. Nice. Nice one, Mike. All right. I like that. All right. Well, Good that's show. a wrap. That's a wrap. So uh, for all our listeners, thanks for sticking around. If you know how to subscribe to a podcast, then you should subscribe to this podcast because there is nothing else you should be listening to. Uh, joking and aside. Tell all your friends to subscribe. <laughs> that's right. Joking aside, um, tell your friends, tell your family, uh, tell everybody you know about us. Write a review. Send us a comment. Send us a note. We'll be happy to feature some stories if you have some ideas. Our contact information is in the show notes. Gentlemen, good game. Great game. Thank you good very much, game. guys. See you next week. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.